friends. Welcome to Literally Disturbed. Where we attempt to disturb you. In some way or another. I mean, well, it'll happen eventually. Whether it's the story we're telling or just because of us. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Brittany. I'm Katie. And we're sisters. So Katie is going to start us out with our true crime story. Whoop diddy whoop. It is the murder of Hella Crafts, a.k.a. the wood chipper murder. Ew. Yeah. So my sources are Wikipedia and Murderpedia. Mm-hmm. And I have a spooky fact for you because I haven't done one of those in a while. Her death led to the state of Connecticut's first murder conviction without the victim's body. Oh, interesting. Because wood chipper, hint, hint. Oh, right. There's no body. Oh, right. I mean, there is, but there but isn't. But it's not, like, yeah. together. Anyways, so <laughs> let's Awkward. get into it. Okay, let's go. Let's Are you disturbed yet? She, I mean, I am. She's <laughs> going to be... We know where this is going. I mean, yes. Okay, so Hella was born July 7th, 1947. She was a Danish flight attendant who was married to Richard Crafts, who was an Eastern Airlines pilot. They got married in 1979, and she moved with him to Newton, Connecticut. She continued to work as a flight attendant while raising their three children. In 1985, Hella learned that Richard was having several affairs. Oh, my. And in September of 1986, she ended up hiring a private investigator, and then she got herself a divorce lawyer. Yeah, yeah, she did. Yeah. Good girl. Um, So the private investigator was named Keith Mayo, and he actually got pictures of Richard kissing another flight attendant outside of her New Jersey home. Oh, my. Yeah. I mean... I mean, he is the captain. What did you, you know, say? Noah's chief daddy. Chief in another daddy. So this is captain daddy. Yeah. Okay, so on November 18th, 1986, friends dropped Hella off at the couple's Newton residence. Hold on. Okay, let me make sure I'm hearing you right. Her name is Hella? Yes. H-E-L-L-A? Well, it's H-E-L-L-E, but it's pronounced Hella. <gasps> okay. Okay. I did Google that. Proceed. I was just making sure I was understanding you correctly. So on November 18th 1986 friends dropped off um hella at her at their house in newton after she had worked a long flight from frankfurt west germany um she was never seen again mm-hmm. that night a snowstorm hit the area the next morning richard said that he was taking hella and their children to his sister's house in westport when he arrived hella was not with him over the next few weeks, Richard gave Hella's friends a variety of stories as to why they were unable to reach her. One of them was that she was visiting her mother in Denmark. She was visiting the Canary Islands with a friend or that he simply did not know where she was. Hella's friends were aware that Richard had a volatile temper and grew concerned. Hella had told some of them, if something happens to me, don't think it was an accident. Oh. So the last time that she was seen, like I said, was November 18th, and she was not reported missing until December 1st. So that was a big little... That's a long time. Yeah, for a missing person. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Keith Mayo, the private investigator that Hella hired at the beginning, he began to become convinced that Richard was involved, obviously. So Richard had been a volunteer constable in Newton and was a part-time police officer in the neighboring Southbury and Keith was unable to persuade local police to investigate him for murder because of his ties. Oh. The county prosecutor eventually referred the case to the Connecticut State Police. On December 26th, while Richard was vacationing with his children in Florida. 
even though his, his wife is missing, uh huh, that would have been they, what she was missing. December first is when they reported it. This is December twenty sixth, right? State troopers searched his house while he was away. Smart. I don't know if that's legal, but they did. If they have a search warrant, it is okay. So inside, they found pieces of carpet taken from the master bedroom floor. The family's nanny recalled that a dark grapefruit stain size had appeared in an area of the carpet, which was later missing. Oh. There was also a blood smear on the side of the bed. The forensic investigation was led by Henry Lee, who at the time was an investigator for the state police. Um, Richard's credit card record showed several unusual purchases around the time Hella vanished including a freezer that was not found in the house, bed sheets, and a comforter, as well as a rental of a wood chipper. Oh, my. Among papers provided to a private investigator by Richard was a receipt for a chainsaw, which was later found in Lake Zorg, hair and blood, which matched Hella's DNA. The key piece of evidence was provided by Joseph Hine, a local man who worked for the town of Southbury who drove the town snowplow in the winter. And remember, that night there was a snowstorm. Mm-hmm. So on the night of November 18th, hours after Hella had been last seen, Hine was plowing the roads during the snowstorm when he noticed a rental truck with a, road, with a wood chipper attached parked close to the shore of, lo- of Lake Zor. So, Wow. It was only after the search of the Kraft's house that Hine reported what he had seen. He led detectives to the location where they examined the water's edge and found many small pieces of metal and some three ounces of human tissue. Oh. Including a crown of a tooth, a fingernail covered in pink nail polish, bone chips, um, 2,660 bleached blonde human hairs. That is a lot of hairs that they counted. And O-type blood, which was the same type as that of Helicrafts. I am just, so he just, she just, yeah. and it was just everywhere. Yep. She was, she was her basically legs or. Her pink is like, uh-huh. her pink and I, okay. So this led police to conclude the remains had likely been fed through the wood chipper Richard had been seen towing. Additionally, a chainsaw that contained traces of blonde hair was found underwater. Though the serial code marking on the chainsaw was scrubbed away, investigators were able to recover the outline of the serial code by applying a type of forensic acid, and the code matched that on the receipt previously found by investigators, confirming that Richard was the owner of the chainsaw. Investigators concluded that Richard struck Hella in the head with something blunt at least twice, staining the carpet with blood then kept her body in the freezer for hours until she was frozen solid. He then cut her apart with a chainsaw and then put the pieces through the wood chipper, probably projecting her fragmented remains into the truck and then shoveling them out onto the shore. Like, this is (laughs) the image I have in my head. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm looking at you very, like, I was, (laughs) I'm just trying to process, because I, like. Shoveling her, like, fragmented pieces. And I'm just, like, trying to think about. How fucking sadistic you have to be to, like, do this to your wife. Uh-huh. Or to anyone. Because like, she was on to you cheating on her. And she wanted a divorce. And that, like... And he's, like, shoveling her bits out. Yeah. Into a... I just... Okay. So... Okay. A prosecution for homicide requires an official determination of the death of the alleged victim. 
Typically, this is done by identification of a body, which was not available in this case. I mean, they had, like, a lot of parts. Just, A yeah. lot of bits. Yes. With the oh, help God. of a forensic dentist, the tooth crown that they found on the water's edge was positively matched to Hella's dental records. On this evidence, the Connecticut State Medical Examiner's Office issued a death certificate on January 13 of 1987. Richard was immediately arrested... In preparation for trial, state medical examiner H. Wayne Carver obtained a pig carcass that was fed through a wood chipper. The shape of and marks on the pig's bone chips after this process were similar to the shape of Hella's bone fragments, strengthening the hypothesis that Richard had used a wood chipper to dispose of his wife's body. Richard Kraft's murder trial began in May of 1988 in New London, where it was moved due to extensive local publicity and ended in July with a hung jury when a single juror vote in favor of acquittal before walking out of deliberations and refusing to return. A second trial in Norwalk ended in a guilty verdict on November 21st, 1989, and Richard was sentenced to serve 50 years in prison, which doesn't I, he should have served more, but whatever. Yeah. I mean, he yes. should never come out ever again. Um, Richard, as of January 2020, has been released from <gasps> prison and is at a halfway house in New Haven. So if you're in New Haven... <laughs> Watch out. Are you kidding me? He's out right now? Yeah. Like, as of now. He's probably not in a halfway house anymore. No, he's probably... Oh, my... Connecticut. Yeah. Alert. Alert. I don't know that alert. we have a whole lot of friends in Connecticut, but alert. Hello, Ohio. We love you. You love us. But Connecticut, <laughs> I don't know. Tell your friends. That's scary. Yeah. That's gross. Yeah. Ew. Anyways, he's probably too old to really do much of anything now, though. True. Hopefully. Um, one so, second. Okay. All right. Okay, so I'm going to kind of play on what I did last week and do, you know, I did like little mini Halloween true crime stories. Mm-hmm. Well, now I'm going to do some like traditional spooky stories, you know, like some of these you probably have heard. These are kind of like the same old stories, but told a little bit differently. Okay. You know, just there's like different. So anyways, you'll get what I'm saying. But I found a couple of them and I thought they were kind of, this one, the first one's kind of like, what? Anyways. Like what? What? Like, oh gosh. What? Okay. okay so the first one, and my source, and all, my source for all of these stories um, is from AmericanFolklore.net, but there are parts that are taken out from a specific book, so... Uh, I will reference the book in particular when I get to the stories. Okay. But all of them are from this one website. Gotcha. So the first one is called The Lady in the Veil. And it is from Spooky, Texas. Spooky, Texas. Yes. Because, you know, I got to throw in the Texas. Oh, yeah. He had not expected to meet the woman of his dreams. But there she was, strolling along in the moonlight beside the cemetery. Because that's where you want to meet the woman of your dreams. Totally. Carlos quickened his pace until he was level with her, hoping for a glimpse of her face under her veil. What a creep. Totes. Carlos made a few remarks about the beautiful night and the lovely weather, anything to keep her talking. She stopped abruptly and turned to face him. He caught a glimpse of dark eyes glinting behind the veil. What is it you want, she asked. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you doing? Why are you in my face? Yeah, like, what are you, what are you doing? A date, senorita. Just a date, Carlos beamed at her. She paused and said, I do not know. Ask me again in this place at the same time tomorrow night and we shall see. 
Carlos's heart leapt in his chest, so she was playing hard to get. Well, fair enough. He would see her tomorrow, and then she would fall into his arms. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm trying here. (laughs) The next day dragged by for the infatuated Carlos, as we know how those days get when you're just, like, consumed by this new love, you know? Do I? No, you're not Tina-ish like I am. Okay. Okay, just just envision Tina. Okay. So he was he had trouble concentrating on his work that day. Oh no. <laughs> but he was but at last he was free and running the few blocks to his home to change into a suitable outfit. You know, you gotta be looking fly. He could barely contain himself and he reached the cemetery a few minutes early. She was not there yet, so Carlos entertained himself by picturing his beautiful bride in their new home. What the fuck? <laughs> 24 hours in, you guys. (laughs) Suddenly, she was there in front of him. The moonlight sparkled off her veil. Carlos was enchanted. They talked for hours, standing in front of the graveyard. She was as witty as she was beautiful, and Carlos begged her for a date. We will go out tomorrow night, she said. I will send you a letter with a time and place. Carlos kissed her hand and floated away, so happy he wanted to sing for joy. Carlos was absolutely useless at work the next day. After work, he rushed home and found a letter in his mailbox. Eagerly, he read it, not pausing to wonder how she knew where he lived. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Then he ran next door to show it to Diego, his closest cousin. Diego went pale when he read her signature, Rosa Gonzalez. This must be the same Rosa that died in a car crash last year. Diego tried to warn Carlos, but Carlos was already in love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that night, Carlos hurried to the cemetery, and Diego followed. Certain that his cousin was in over his head, Carlos bounded over to Rosa. At last, we go out, he cried for her. But first, my love, show me your face. At his Now word. you look at her face. <laughs> he hasn't even seen her face yet. <laughs> this is like one of those like 90-day or fiancé or something. <laughs> yeah. Or married at first sight, that one. Oh yeah. You know, I got I got into ninety day fiance. That stuff is hilarious. Yeah, I like the mayonnaise guy. Anyways. <laughs> I don't know. It's like no neck neck Ed, or something. Ed something, I think. I can't remember his last name. Okay. So at his words, Rosa pulled aside the veil. Back at the gate, Diego gave a gasp of shock, for she had the desiccated face of a skeleton. Ew. He was frozen to the spot by the power of the evil specter, unable to warn Carlos. Looking down, Carlos only saw the glamour the ghost was projecting. As the skeleton's withered arms trapped him, the veil on his eyes was lifted, and he realized in one heart-stopping moment the abomination he was kissing. I thought you loved her, man. (laughs) I thought you were going to marry her. (laughs) So rude. She was ugly. You you know... It's all about the looks, man. So rude. (laughs) So the ground opened up and with a laugh of triumph, the specter pulled him down into her tomb. The earth closed over Carlos and Rosa. Diego, freed from the ghost spell, ran into the cemetery, shouting his cousin's name in terror. But it was too late. Carlos was dead, locked for all time in Rosa's arms. Oh, well, at least they got there happily ever after. <laughs> I mean, I guess he did find the one. Mm-hmm. He was right. Okay, so I do have a tiny little story just because I heard it this morning and it reminds me of this creepy. Okay. okay, so it was on the radio and apparently this guy was like out walking and he sees like this cute girl and she has a German Shepherd. Mm-hmm. And he is like trying to like hit on her because he thinks the girl's cute, but like 
he tried to play it cool and like pet the dog and like try to like make conversation with her like oh look at the dog right. like how cute and then he asked for a picture with her dog uh-huh okay and then later on the girl gets a text from him he didn't ask for her number but instead the dog's tag Oh, had my her God. number on it. No. And he zoomed in on the picture that he took <gasps> and texted and texted her. Isn't that creepy? I don't like that's one of those. Okay, so the, I'm sorry. I know I reference a lot of TV, but there's this scene in How I Met Your Mother where they're talking about it. And it's like the Dahmer something else effect. But there's the one where the, you know, the guy on, I'm sorry, I'm not an 80s baby, but. Where he holds the the boombox up yeah. to the window and he's like, yeah. Uh-huh. They're referencing that. Okay. And then Dahmer, which is obviously like a serial yes. killer. But it's like, it's all in perception of who is the one receiving it, I guess. And they're like, is it Dahmer or is it whatever the other guy's name is, depending on how, like the... Is it romantic or is it or, creepy? Yeah, and I feel yeah. like I don't really know because I, like... That is super cute, meeting someone in a dog park and, like, really liking her and just yeah. like, oh, I, oh, my God, there's her number. I can text her. But then but at the no, same time and consent being, yes, being a female and especially in today's yes. world and knowing how many fucking creeps there are out there, it would not be my first instinct to be like, oh, it would be like, what the fuck? Uh, yeah. And so she immediately blocked him. Of she, course. she was married, too. So oh, okay. his dumb ass didn't even look at her ring finger. <laughs> You saw the phone number, yeah. but not the ring. Anyways, okay. So you go. You keep going. Oh, okay. Okay. So the next one is called The Hitchhiker, a Massachusetts ghost story. And this is also uh, from, I guess, it's not from an actual book. It's just a story, but it's from the same website. Okay. Our friends, Josh and Sandy, were firm believers in ghosts and claimed to have seen the mysterious red-haired phantom that haunted Route 44. My wife and I were sitting with them at dinner one night, and we started kidding them about it. Like, ha, 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 you see ghosts. <laughs> Funny how we've never seen them, and we drive that stretch of road all the time, my wife Jill drawled. You skeptic, Sandy said, emphasizing the word as if it were a curse. One of these days, you're going to find out I'm right, and you'll owe me a pizza. Oh, a pizza. Yeah. That's a good price. <laughs> yeah. If I ever see the ghostly hitchhiker, I'll buy you a large pizza every day for a year, I promise. Oh, that's a lot of fucking pizza. I wouldn't want a large pizza every day. For every day, no. No. Unless you could pick from different, like, shops and get different varieties, then maybe. But still, that's a lot of pizza, and you would die. you would be fat, fat. You would definitely get diabetes. Because I, my heartburn, I would literally, like, I would Your esophagus would, yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't have one. Uh, bloopity bloop. Okay, the evening ended pleasantly, and it wasn't long before Jill and I were driving home through the crisp fall air. Let's take Route 44, Jill said suddenly, flashing me a sideways look. Hoping to see a ghost, I chuckled, taking the turn as she directed. Ha! Jill snorted. She yawned and turned her head to face the passenger window. Suddenly, she let out a shriek of sheer terror. I jumped and glanced sideways, my hands shaking on the steering wheel. A red-haired man with a bushy beard wearing a plaid shirt and blue jeans was running next to the passenger side of the car. Ew, I don't like that. I don't (laughs) like running. No. Especially not... Making eye contact running next to your car. No. Like, he's there for a purpose. And he kept glancing in the window and leering at Jill. Ew. Jill, not Jill. Heart pounding in terror, I hit the gas. A moment later, I glanced in the rearview mirror and saw the red-haired man was sitting in the back seat of our car. No, I don't like that either. Yeah. 
So first he's running, staring at you like, and now he's I'm going to get you. you. And then he's like, hey, bitch, I'm here. That's always been my biggest fear is to have, <laughs> like, look back in the, like, mirror and see somebody Someone just staring just back at me. there. Yeah, because you're fucked. What are you going to do? <sighs> yeah. I hate it. Uh, Jill shrieked again and began pummeling the phantom with her purse. Because uh, that's going to work. Yeah. I, le- I kept looking back and forth between my, my wife, the phantom, and the road ahead, determined that I was not going to let the ghost-haired force us into a fatal accident. I glanced toward the back seat for a moment, and the ghost laughed, a laugh that made my teeth tingle and the hairs on my neck stand up. Hell. Oh, yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> what? That's not right. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is thy fruit of thy womb. Jesus, Jill gabbled the words of the rosary. Glancing in the mirror, I saw the phantom grimace as she recited the holy words. Then he vanished without a trace. I rebuke thee. (laughs) Get the F out of me. (laughs) I got us out of there much faster than the speed limit allowed. I was shaking from head to toe and Jill was sobbing hysterically. As soon as I pulled into the driveway and turned off the car, I swept my wife into my arms and held her as tightly as I could. We clung together for a long time until both of us had stopped shaking and Jill's sobs had abated. I want to go inside, she whispered against my neck, and I nodded, not trusting my voice. That night, we discussed the incident, but oddly enough, neither of us had nightmares. When we awoke in the morning, I felt much better about the whole thing until I remembered my promise to Sandy the night before. I groaned aloud, I groaned aloud and then clapped my hand over my mouth, lest the sound to wake my wife. Too late. She opened her green eyes and gave me a sleepy smile. You owe Sandy a year's worth of pizza, she said. <laughs> I most certainly do. I she, don't have, she doesn't have to know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Okay, so the next one that I have is called Black Magic, and it is from uh, Spooky, Massachusetts. Okay. Uh, okay, so this one's kind of interesting. Mad Henry was a hermit who lived alone in a decrepit mansion on the edge of town. Rumors were rife about the wild-eyed man. Some folks said that he was a magician who called upon the powers of the darkness to wreak havoc upon his neighbors. Others called him a mad doctor who could restore life to foul corpses from the local cemetery. No respectable citizen in town had anything to do with Mad Henry. Then one year, a new family moved to town with the lovely daughter Rachel, who caught Mad Henry's eye. He showered the maiden with gifts, goblets of pure gold, necklaces of pearl, and a pot of daisies that never dropped a single petal. Despite the gifts, Rachel fell in love with another, Jeffrey, a handsome young man just home from university. A week after meeting, they eloped, leaving behind a stunned Mad Henry. When Rachel and Jeffrey returned from the elopement, they threw a big ball and invited everyone in town. When Rachel was waltzing with her father, she heard a clap of thunder. Lightning flashed again and again. Suddenly, the doors blew open and a breeze whirled in, bringing in with it the smell of dead, decaying things. Oh. Mad Henry loomed in the doorway, pupils gleaming red with anger. He was followed by the grotesque figures of the dead, who came marching two by two into the room. Their eye sockets glowed with blue fire as they surrounded the room. What a psychopath. (laughs) What's with all these crazies? (laughs) Two of the corpses captured Jeffrey and threw him down at the feet of their lord. Red eyes gleaming, Mad Henry drew a silver-bladed knife and casually cut the bridegroom's throat from ear uh, to ear. The fuck? Just casually, man. Just casually. Here. Rachel screamed and ran forward, pushing through the foul, stinking corpses of the dead, and flung herself upon her dying husband. Kill us both, she cried desperately. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm being extra. <laughs> 
The Mad Henry plucked the lass out of the pool of blood surrounding her dead husband and carried her out into the thundering night. Behind him, the army of the dead turned from the grisly scene and followed their master. The sounds of thunder and lightning faded away as the alchemist and his dead companions disappeared into the dark night. You just fucking kidnapped her? Yeah. The fuck? Straight up. Jeffrey's father and Rachel's father gathered a small mob and followed the evil hermit intent upon saving Rachel. When they searched Mad Henry's house, they found it completely empty save for a light which shone from a series of mysterious globes that bobbed near the ceiling of each room. Mad Henry had vanished. Search parties scoured the countryside for days but turned up nothing. Jeffrey was buried in the local cemetery and the dance hall was torn down. No one in town spoke about what happened and no one dared imagine what had become of poor Rachel. A year to the day after the ball, a timid knock sounded upon the door of Rachel's parents' home. When her father opened it, he saw a gaunt gray figure on the stoop. Her eyes were dull with exhaustion and pain. It was Rachel. Her tongue had been cut out so she couldn't speak. What the fuck? Yeah. But when she produced a knife from her tattered garments, the knife with a silver blade that they had last seen in the hands of Mad Henry. The gleam of satisfaction in Rachel's eyes told them what the streaks of blood that coated the knife were those of Mad Henry. That's right. Or that night, Rachel died in her sleep with a peaceful smile upon her ravaged face. Oh, so she she escaped and then died. Yep. That was a sad story. It is pretty sad. But it's kind of spooky, too. Spooky. Spooky. Okay, so this next one is probably one of my favorite stories ever. Okay. <laughs> we'll see why. <laughs> I feel like this is like my, you know how everyone has like that shadow self? I feel like this is, like, my shadow self. Okay. Like, your darkest, I don't know. Well, I guess we're going to see your... Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So, this is the story of Bloody Mary. Oh, okay. (laughs) From Spooky, Pennsylvania. Okay. Now, I have next week a story of Bloody Mary that is different. It's, like, the actual... Like, this is just, like, a kind of, like, a folklore kind of legend. But the other one is actually where the whole... Bloody Mary actually derived from, and it's like a true kind Spoiler. Of story. Spoiler alert. Yes. So, she lived deep in the forest in a tiny cottage and sold herbal remedies for a living. Folks living in the town nearby called her Bloody Mary, and she was a witch. No one dared cross the old, the old crone for fear that their cows would go dry, their food stores would rot away before winter, and their children would take sick of fever, or any number of terrible things that an angry witch could do to her neighbors. Okay. Then the little girl or then the little girls in the village began to disappear one by one. No one could find out what now okay, I have She's I don't mean kidnapper. this part. I don't mean the kid part. I just mean like being a witch in the woods yeah. and like I knew where you were with your neighbors from, kind of but thing. That's but good not to like this. Clarify. Yeah, I just I knew you would know, but I just yes. wanted to make sure. Like I'm not talking about kidnapping kids or nothing. She doesn't want little girls. No, I definitely have enough of my own girls. <laughs> and anyways. <clears throat> so then the little girls in the village began to disappear one by one. No one could find out where they had gone. Grief-stricken, families searched the woods, the local buildings, and all the houses and barns, but there was no sign of the missing girls. A few brave souls even went to the Bloody Mary's home in the woods to see if the witch had taken the girls, but she denied any knowledge of the disappearances. Still, it was noted that her haggard appearance had changed. She looked younger, more attractive. The neighbors were suspicious, but they could find no proof that the witch had taken their young ones. Then came the night when the daughter of the miller rose from her bed and walked outside, following the enchanted sound that no one else could hear. The miller's wife had a toothache, and she was sitting up in the kitchen treating the tooth with an herbal remedy when her daughter left the house. She screamed for her husband and followed the girl out the door. 
The miller came running in his nightshirt. Together, they tried to restrain the girl, but she kept breaking away from them and heading out of town. The desperate cries of the miller and his wife woke the neighbors. They came to assist the frantic couple. Suddenly, a sharp-eyed farmer gave a shout and pointed towards a strange light at the edge of the woods. A few townsmen followed him out into the field and saw Bloody Mary standing beside a large oak tree and handing, holding a magic wand that was pointed towards the miller's house. She was glowing with an unearthly light as she set her evil spell upon the miller's daughter. The townsmen grabbed their guns and their pitchforks and ran towards the witch. When she heard the commotion, Bloody Mary broke off her spell and fled into the woods. The far-sighted farmer had loaded his gun with silver bullets in case the witch ever came after his daughter. Now he took aim and shot her. The bullet hit Bloody Mary in the hip and she fell to the ground. The angry townsmen leapt upon her and carried her back into the field where they, they built a huge bonfire and burned her at the stake, oh. of course. As she burned, Bloody Mary screamed a curse at the villagers. If anyone mentioned her name aloud before a mirror, she would send her spirit to revenge herself upon them for her terrible death. When she was done, the villagers went to the house in the woods and found an unmarked graves of all the little girls the evil witch had murdered. They, she had used their blood to make her young again. From that day to this, anyone foolish enough to chant Bloody Mary's name three times before a darkened mirror will summon the vengeful spirit of the witch. It is said that she will tear the bodies to pieces and rip out their souls from their mutilated bodies. Oh. The souls of these unfortunate ones will burn in torment as Bloody Mary once was burned, and they will be trapped forever in the mirror. Fun fact, that doesn't work. Because <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've said Bloody Mary in many, many mirrors, and... My body has not been mutilated yet. <laughs> That's good to Just know. saying. <laughs> so he's going to jump on here and tell us her encrypted story of the week. Hello, everybody. Welcome back, Sophie. The Honey Island Swamp Monster, also known as the Kajuan Sasquatch, is an ape-like humanoid cryptid creature similar to the descriptions of Bigfoot. Interesting. Perpetrated to inhibit the Honey Island Swamp. That's its name. Mm-hmm. In Tammany Parish, Louisiana, I'm sorry, it has become a part of Louisiana folklore. Okay. The many swamp tour companies in the area capitalizing it on, on its alleged existence. That is considered unlikely by scientists. But, I mean, each country has got to have its own little cryptid. Yeah, totally. I mean, like, state, country. Each little area. Each little area has to have yeah. its own little creature to go with it. The creature is uncommon, is... Commonly described by alleged witnesses as a large bipedal humanoid about seven feet, two meters tall. Wow. Covered in gray hair, having yellow or red eyes, and accompanied by a putrid odor. So it's stinky. It's stinky, and it's really tall. Yeah. So imagine it running at you, but like it's gross, like it <laughs> smells. I can like imagine that. Other local names for the creature include the Rougarou, Louisiana, Wookie, and The Thing. The thing. The thing. Okay. Alleged plaster casts of footprints said to be found by the creature showcase four toes, not a natural trait found in primates who pro- who possess five. Right. So that's strange. Claims of its existence are generally not considered creditable, including the spy scientists are familiar with the area like Paul Wagner and his wife, Neither they nor their guide, Robbie Cherbonnet, report having seen any valid evidence beyond witnesses and such. Right, so they never seen any physical evidence, just what people say. Yeah. Okay. The first claim sighting it was in 1963 by Harlan Ford, a retired air traffic controller 
who had taken up wildlife photography. After his death in 1980, a reel of Super 8 film showing the creature was found among his belongings. In 1974, Ford and his friend Billy Mills claimed to have found unusual footprints in the area, as well as a body of a wild boar whose throat had been gashed. Today, the creature is perpetrated to inhabit the swamp and the bayous along the Pearl River. Okay. Local <clears throat> lore tells of a creature crash that occurred near the swamp in the, in the early 20th century in which a traveling circus lost chimpanzees who adapted in, to the environment and offered a potential explanation to the creature's origins. So you're telling me that they went from chimpanzees to seven-foot-tall bipedal eight-mans? Yeah. Okay. I don't know when this is going to get out. I think it's like going to be like November or something. But right now when we're recording this, it's like the day after Halloween. So yes. happy Halloween, I guess. Or happy Thanksgiving. I don't know. <laughs> it's Halloween. This will be on Wednesday. So this is just like two days from now. Yeah. So, so happy Halloween. I was Ranbu for Halloween. It was yes. great. No, she had fun. No one recognized me, but it was fine. Because I still <laughs> had fun with my vampire siblings. <laughs> Okay, well, we hope that you had a happy Halloween, too, friends. And is, yeah. that, is that your story for this week, Sophie? Uh, yes, yes, thank you. Well, that um, was a wonderful story. Thank you for listening. Uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Yes. Thank you. All right, bye. Bye. Thanks, Sophie. That was amazing. All right, well, thank you guys for listening. And you know the drill. If you like us, find us, literallydisturbed.com. All yes. the info's there. Yeah, and keep listening. Bye. And bye. <laughs>